G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. Still uh, deep into the pre-season, but AFLW hotting up now. I think we're more than halfway through the uh, home and away games. Uh, the men's competition about to get to that uh, practice match stage. A few injuries and niggles of concern to clubs. Uh, some big news off the field. Plenty more to talk about. We continue our countdown of our favourite songs and movies, footy flashbacks, you name it, we've got it. As I say, very good evening to my co-host, Mark Fine. How are you doing, Finey? I'm doing well. Very much enjoying the balmy weather. It's not balmy, it's hot, actually. Weather in Melbourne, I'm a hot weather person. And I'm also enjoying the build-up to an AFL season with a bit of AFLW just to keep me sated. Yes, interesting uh, times in sport, aren't there? Uh, we've been a bit starved of cricket lately, um, so perhaps that's given the footy a bit more attention. The tennis now over, that's usually a, a line in the sand moment where the uh, the footy hype starts building up. Depends what's on your personal agenda, though, and I'll get to this later in the show, but I've been undertaking an activity at the moment, uh, which I'd forgotten just how um, horrible it is. And uh, don't worry, it's not, it's not life-threatening or anything, but it's something you don't want to do often in your life. In fact, I've just been distracted as we speak because our producer, Damon Jackman, has his camera on and his rather fetching white cat has strolled into view. Lovely cat it is too. I do like cats. I mean, I'm a dog person too. Don't get me wrong, but I, I love cats. They're very smart and clever, and this one's cute and fluffy. Anyway, uh, what's happening to me? Finally, I'm going really weird. Uh, anything? Got anything? Yeah, I. It's actually quite interesting. I don't want to give away what the movie or the music choices are, but. Far from being a rom-com person, I saw that the, me, I saw there's a new rom-com out and I just, it said rom-com and when I saw it, I don't know, some stupid thing with, what's her name, the former singer, anyhow, I thought it said Roco on the, t I swear, I looked it up at the screen and I thought it was a Roco and then I thought, you know what, Roco does like a rom-com, so you are a bit of a white fluffy pussy person after all. Well, wait till you see my uh, movie choice this week. Uh, it's certainly not a rom-com. Not a rom-com, but, no, but, uh, but certainly, um, certainly very, very emotional. In fact, I think I cried as much as I've cried in any movie watching that film. Um, but we'll get to that later. All right, uh, enough of the softness and fluffiness. Uh, time for some meat and potatoes. Let's do it. On Footyology Newsfeed. Well, kicking off the news segment this week with a, a really serious story and been bubbling away uh, for a fair while in the background. We've heard uh, whispers here and there, but um, really the lid lifted on a lot of detail today in the Herald Sun by uh, Mick Warner, good friend of the show. I think we can call Mick and a, a crack investigative footy journo too. And he has uncovered uh, some really disturbing stuff going on at Melbourne, believe it or not, the reigning premier in the lead-up to last year's incredible season. So might be good ammunition for the um, the naysayers about uh, off-field issues translating into on the field because it's certainly not backed up by that. But this involves some uh, alleged fairly ordinary behaviour from uh, coach Simon Goodwin in terms of behavioural issues and uh, alleged bullying of the former club doctor, uh, Zishan Arain, who ended up being, uh, well, basically uh, serving legal action against the club um, for unfair dismissal and being paid out, I think, to the extent of about a quarter of a, a million dollars. But uh, basically, the doctor had some really serious allegations about the culture within the club, 
Simon Goodwin's um, drinking and gambling activities, uh, um, escapades with uh, players of the club and officials. Um, and uh, it looks like there may have been some sort of tie-in to, to the departure of club chairman Glenn Bartlett early last season, which was a, a bit of an eyebrow raiser at the time, given that the, uh, the Demons had started the year with, I think, four or five wins on the trot, and Bartlett had only recently been re-elected to the position of chairman, and all of a sudden he was out, and they tried to paint it as a fairly seamless sort of transition, and that he was exhausted and whatever, and didn't really wash then, and it certainly washes a lot less now, um, particularly when you know that he seemed to be, uh, I guess, leading the the charge of those concerned about the uh, allegations against the coach. So really interesting reading. Uh, if you want to check that out in the Herald Sun, some follow-up subsequently to reaction from various sources. Obviously, the club are sort of battening down the hatches and denying that there was uh, much of an issue. Um, what's your take on it all thus far, Forney? This is really an example to me of the on-field success of a football club will determine will determine how far they go in protecting somebody key to that success and nobody more key than Simon Goodwin, AFL senior coach. Now, well, hang on, hang on, hang on. Sorry, I've got a butt in there because at yeah. the time this was going on, they weren't successful. In fact, his position was under no. threat anyway. No, but I'm saying the action, the action against the club and the resignation of Bartlett, as you said, happened during the 21 season, which they got off to a good start and kept going. So I'm talking about now the public statements coming from the club are totally supportive of Simon Goodwin. They stand by him 100%. And that, to me, steps in time with other similar moments for other clubs. You know, Ross Lyon didn't have that support at Fremantle when matters surrounding his off-field relations with, or his relations with members of the staff surface, I think his cards were marked. Look, Simon Goodwin is a premiership coach, and at the moment, that credit is so strong that the goodwill that comes with it for Goodwin will mean that he survives as coach and the club backs him and they pay out the person who's aggrieved. And on we go. If the club had not had a successful 2021, this may have been a camel that broke the straws back. But you know, I mean, wouldn't be the club, first. Uh, wouldn't be the first reigning premiership coach to uh, end up leaving the club immediately. You remember the last one? I'm trying to think who it was. Um, Alex Jezelinko. Alex Jezelinko. Um, look, these the reality for me. The reality is that we are not privy to the exact nature of the complaint, but it must have been fairly serious and the club obviously dealt with it out of court and to the tune of $250,000. Remember, it's no surprise that the, the journalist involved is the man who also opened the lid on the boys club of the AFL because we know that boys club at the AFL at the highest level only is the tip of the iceberg. We've got 18 clubs, which these things can seem to continue on, don't they? Or yeah. not say we're all, all 18, but 18 clubs that, if open to investigation, might have their own secrets. Well, just in terms of some of the detail, uh, Mick Warner has taken delivery of an email from Glenn Bartlett uh, to department heads, and he said, I have now formed the view that workplace bullying occurred towards Dr. Arain, which would amount to misconduct in my view, if not serious misconduct. Do we continue to hold the necessary trust and confidence in the senior coach with regard to his behaviour and performance slash capability? Um, he added, these matters are obviously very serious and extremely sensitive. It's imperative that all of us do not discuss any of these matters outside the board meeting with any other person. Uh, you do get the impression, though, that Bartlett's concern was uh, certainly in the minority, hence his um, pretty abrupt removal from the position. So uh, it's interesting. AFL bosses were sort of um, informed about these 
concerns as well. In fact, uh, Bartlett and another Melbourne board member had a meeting with Gil McLaughlin and Richard Goiter um, at the start of February last year. So, uh, and according to this report, McLaughlin detailed his own knowledge of Goodwin's drinking and gambling and encouraged Bartlett to remove the coach and Gary Pert, the CEO, if required. Now, Gary Pert, uh, incidentally, didn't hold back on the doctor in a communication to club members as well. So a fair bit of uh, dirty uh, linen being bought out. Um, and uh, again, you know, pretty amazing that it, uh, it follows a premiership. But I just wonder, where does it go from here? I, I guess, you know, even, even those who were, other than Bartlett, who remain at the club and who were um, less... Uh, I guess, um, satisfied with explanations about the coach's behaviour might have changed their view now, given that the club's just broken a 57-year premiership drought. I suggest they'd probably want to keep uh, keep the lid on things rather than upset the apple cart all over again and have a, uh, well, I guess you could argue to be a, a Norm Smith Mark II. And we know how that ended, and it wasn't very well. No, I mean, that's sort of what I was alluding to, that papering over all cracks does the premiership do and in the case of Melbourne more than just cracks seemingly serious indiscretions that had Glenn Bartlett and Gil McLaughlin both added them that the future of Simon Goodwin was very much in the balance if not beyond in the balance seemingly he behaved in such a way that deserved sacking it's not going to happen it didn't happen in fact it was Bartlett that ultimately had to step aside and Simon Goodwin now treads carefully. I mean, he would certainly have learned a lesson out of all of this. I'm sure that Simon Goodwin, post this becoming public and even post an internal issue, must be far more careful about his behaviour and how he treats members of the football club, whatever position they hold. Oh, gee, I've got to say, I don't know a lot about Glenn Bartlett, but if I was the chairman of a club rightly bringing to attention concerns about the integrity and culture of the club I was president of and my reward for doing that was to get uh, basically given the heave-ho, I'd be pretty dirty on that. Um, it's a very interesting exercise in politics and networking in AFL football and it's the, uh, I'd suggest, the strength of the contacts you have that ultimately matter for most in the football world now more than ever. And I think uh, there's plenty of good people who've suffered because of that. And there's plenty of inferior people who've prospered by that. I'm not in any way saying that about Simon Goodwin, who I actually really like and I think is very talented. But, uh, boy, there's some, uh, there's some ordinary sorts who've hung around in football a long time because of their connections. So let's just see if anything else comes out in the wash there. But uh, a very, very interesting uh, off-season football story, that one from Mick Warner. So well done to him. Uh, more meat and potatoes uh, type news uh, during the week too, Finey, but uh, starting off with bad news for your club and I uh, feel sorry for this guy. I rate him as a player and I think we're just starting to uh, to see him develop at a decent rate. I'm talking about St Kilda's Nick Caulfield now uh, out for the season with a serious knee injury. Yeah, the club went to Ballarat for a training camp and match simulation. He went down early in that game and Worst fears were realised when it was announced that he had ruptured his ACL out for the season. Now, Nick Coffield was a slow burn two years ago in the interrupted 2020 season, had his breakout year, uh, 2019 season had his breakout year. 2020, not so good for Nick Coffield. Sort of lost a bit of confidence last year and became uh, deer in the headlights and he was one of the players sort of put forward as to why St Kilda had gone backwards, that his development had stalled. By the end of the season, though, he regained some confidence and earned his place back in the side. So cruel luck for him, managed by Nigel Carmody, and Nigel has spoken glowingly about the Caulfields. His brother, a very good footballer, was close to being drafted about three years ago after a really good season with Richmond in the VFL. So for Nick... Young player, the prognosis is pretty good for ACLs nowadays, so he'll get back on the horse in 2023. Uh, more injuries uh, too. Uh, one, unfortunately, to new Port Adelaide recruit, uh, former kangaroo, Trent Dumont. 
Uh, he's going to miss a chunk of time as well. What can you tell us about that one? And uh, Brent Daniels, who has quite a serious uh, foot injury. Well, I mean, Trent Dumont, that sort of a, a late acquisition of Port Adelaide, and we know that they've done really well recruiting young players from the draft. See, they've done less well picking up players from other clubs, haven't they? Late in their careers, Jack Watts, Motlop. Um, they've just, just, you know, they've been some sort of late desperate picks that haven't worked for Port Adelaide, I'll say that. And this one looks to be right, you know, he's right on the back foot here, Dumont, because a player like Dumont at his last chance, late selection, he needs a full pre-season, Rowan. And Brent Daniels, he's got the old Liz Frank, which is a very serious injury. It's a broken bone in the foot, and he's going to certainly miss, they think, the first half of the year. And hard to come back because of all the running you need to do to be prepared to play AFL football in a year that you break that bone. That's a pity, too, because, uh, well, they've lost a fair bit of the uh, the cream uh, of the crop they used to have. And guys like Daniels, I think, were becoming fairly important for the Giants. So that will be a blow felt by them as they try to uh, improve on what was a pretty resilient effort in 2021. Uh, the other bit of news, just quickly, too, the um, pre, pre-season practice matches, if you like the roster for those, has been announced they will be held across four days from the 23rd to Wednesday, the 23rd to Saturday, the 26th of February, uh, mainly at um, regional venues, uh, actually Essendon playing at the hangar. Uh, But I'll I'll run through the fixture very quickly. Essendon playing the Western Bulldogs on Wednesday, the 23rd. Carlton taking on St Kilda at Icon Park on Thursday, the 24th. Friday the 25th, we've got Brisbane v Adelaide, Gold Coast v Port Adelaide, Collingwood v Hawthorne in Morwell, Sydney v GWS, West Coast v Fremantle. Uh, No crowd allowed in for that one. Uh, The Perth, of course, still uh, dealing with uh, restrictions, etc. Saturday, we have Geelong taking on Richmond at GMHBA Stadium. And then the Amy Community Series, uh, kicks off the following weekend. And that's about it, really, before the season proper starts. So um, get a couple of practice games into you in the lead-up to your side's start to the season. Real action, though, going on. Four premiership points in the AFLW. And, uh, well, the roster's all over the shop. We had a, a, a game from round four played tonight uh, after round five had been almost completed over Friday, Saturday and Sunday. But uh, the way things are at the moment, Finey, Adelaide um, back on top of the ladder, the Crows after uh, a really good win on the weekend over Carlton and Fremantle, which had been on top, uh, beaten by 10 points by North Melbourne, who are looking particularly impressive. And uh, Tuesday night's game tonight, as we recall this, um, a landmark win for West Coast. Uh, Two-point victors over the Saints after nearly a month away from home. They and Freo, of course, having to uh, stay in these parts, um, locked out of their own state. But uh, the Eagles jagging their first win of the season. I saw the scenes afterwards, some pretty happy West Coast players, as you'd understand it. So good result for them. Uh, the Cats managing a win over the Eagles on Friday night. So remember that too. It was uh, West Coast's second game in a matter of four or five days. Uh, Brisbane, comfortable winners over Collingwood. Uh, Melbourne, 12-point winners over Gold Coast. Uh, Bulldogs, pretty comfortable victors over Richmond. And like I said, Adelaide beating Carlton, North Melbourne taking on Fremantle. So some particularly good teams this season, finally, and even the teams that uh, in terms of ladder position, are, quote, strugglers, are showing some signs, as we indeed saw West Coast do tonight. So uh, shaping up as a pretty decent AFLW season, this one. Yeah, I mean, starting at the bottom, the Saints, um, that might have been their chance to win a game pass because, as you say, West Coast, after a month away or more than a month away from home, down at Frankston, second game in four days, and the Saints, look, in that second half, there were no goals. St Kilda had their chances, but West Coast were deserved winners. 
It looks to me as though Adelaide are setting themselves apart. Melbourne's early form plateaued a bit. Even the Gold Coast got within... I mean, Gold Coast getting within two goals shows that their improvement is measurable this season and quantifiable and very, very positive. I like North Melbourne, as you do. I think of all the teams that came into the competition past the foundation year, they hit the ground running hardest. And we've spoken about their forward line, many options there. So North Melbourne might be a challenge, but they seem to be milling around behind Adelaide, don't they? Adelaide, definitely the team to beat. Yeah, look, it's very tight. Adelaide, Frio, Melbourne, North, they've all been pretty impressive. I still rate Brisbane, the reigning premier. I mean, they've um, they've only lost for one game, and I thought handled Collingwood uh, pretty easily uh, on the weekend. I saw all of that game. Um, Gold Coast, you know, were winless before a couple of weekends ago. Now they're two and two. They're in seventh spot. They're in mid table. So, um, but even those sides lower down, like I say, I mean Geelong won the one game, but could have won a few more. Richmond have been impressive, even though they've only won one game. And the Bulldogs put away Richmond pretty easily, but uh, they've only won the one game. Of course, they've played a couple less than a couple of other sides. Um, but it really has been a disrupted season. I think given the sort of logistical difficulties uh, they've had to put up with, uh, most sides have handled the disruption really well. So uh, keep tuning in. I think it's a pretty entertaining season. I think there's some really good quality teams. And I think whoever ends up playing off, we're going to see uh, a really high-quality grand final and a very worthy AFLW Premier, I'd suggest. All right. Um, oh, one more item quickly I forgot to mention before. Uh, McGarry medalist or joint McGarry medalist, James Sitas, uh, has been signed up by Gold Coast Finey. He tied for the McGarry medal with Bryce Gibbs, another um, premiership player too with uh, Woodville West Torrens. Um, Hayes, Jack Hayes, the other one, your mob signed him up and now Sitas uh, going to Gold Coast. So hopefully will prove good value for them as they replenish their stocks yet again. All well, right. Just on Sitas, yep. well done him, but poor Nathan Freeman because he was the player going head-to-head with Sitas for that final Gold Coast spot. Bar a couple of games at St Kilda that were really sort of um, donated to him at the end of his stint there. Oh, that poor kid. He's just had an AFL career tantalisingly out of his fingertip reach now for a number of years. And you've got to feel for him. Yeah, he's been cursed. No doubt about that. Let's hope he gets a break at some stage. Still young enough to do so. All right. Time to continue now our countdown of our favourite songs and movies let's get into it vinyl and video pressing rewind on our favorite music movies and tv all right uh been the subject of much intrigue this segment people are constantly wondering what our choices are going to be from week to week uh, yours in typical form have been pretty eclectic. Mine probably a bit more predictable, but uh, there has been a, a few eyebrows raised at certain selections of mine, particularly in terms of uh, the music from week to week. I uh, can let the kid out of the bag and say this one, my choice this week is a bit more uh, regulation. But anyway, number seven. My number seven movie of all time, Finey, is... Uh, a second foreign language film in my list. Uh, probably felt like a bit of a cultural bogan, only having a couple, but this is such a great film. It's certainly, I think, oh no, close to the, I think it's the second most recent film in my list of 20. Uh, it is German. It was made in 2006 and it is called The Lives of Others. Now, I do just want to check in first, Fanny. Have you seen this film? No, I have not. Well, I'm telling you, this is a must-watch because, well, obviously it's one of the best films I've ever seen, but this is just, it's gripping, it is tense, um, but at the same time, it doesn't sacrifice its humanness for the intrigue and the drama and the suspense. And uh, I love the way the characters in this film are fully formed. Um, 
all of them face, you know, some sort of moral dilemma. Um, and uh, brilliant acting performances, a brilliant script, brilliantly shot. Um, and what it is about is about the basically the dying days of East Germany and in particular the Stasi, East Germany's secret police. And uh, it's about a, a long-time employee of the Stasi who is told to spy on a well-known playwright who has never previously been spied upon. He's always been pretty vocal in his support of the communist regime, so there's never been any reason to suspect him of any uh, untoward anti-state activities. But anyway, this agent, uh, I'm just trying to remember the character's name, uh, Gerd Wessler, Wiesler, is asked to spy on this playwright. Um, and he does so, and there is a romantic twist, let's say, uh, in that the playwright has a love interest going on. And it turns out the um, Stasi agent superior who has commanded him to spy on the playwright is a jealous love rival for the affections of the actress the playwright is uh, romancing. Um, but it basically explores the ins and outs of life in that sort of claustrophobic um, regime, oppressive regime where everyone's constantly feeling watched and uh, afraid to speak their mind, afraid to be themselves. And uh, it's a wonderful, I think it works really well as an insight into how life was lived in a place like East Germany through the personal stories that we um, we get to know. So uh, it's 1984, so when I say the dying days of the regime, it's still five years away, the end of the regime, but it's all looking a bit tired and a bit fraught and uh, the opposition is growing and you get a hint of that when um, the playwright uh, pins anonymously a protest piece, if you like. There's tragedy in this as well and the ending um, of the movie is particularly effective and, and particularly emotional too. Um, it is a brilliant film, Miss Finey. I, I absolutely guarantee that you would love this film. Um, it, it's just absolutely engrossing, a great uh, study in the human character, but a great study in uh, the politics of oppression, if you like, and the toll that that takes on the human spirit as a result. A wonderful, wonderful film, The Lives of Others. And like I said, if you can get through this without shedding a tear, uh, you aren't human because um, it is just, there is such pathos about this film. It is an absolute ripper. The lives of others don't miss it. Good sell, Road. Good sell. I'll track it down on Netflix or various other providers. I'll, I'll watch it maybe Good. within days. Good. All right. What have you got? Let's go back to 1996. And if you've... Um, heard me talk about movies and my favourite movies, it will come as no surprise that in the top ten there was good representation, strong representation from the Coen brothers. And this was maybe for, I think it marks their broader appeal and their broader awakening in movie making. Prior to this movie, Fargo, they had certainly made movies of note, Barton Fink, Hudsucker Proxy, Miller's Crossing, but still remained art house and uh, of a certain following, but not a broad following. Fargo changed all that, received seven Academy Award nominations, one, two, Best Actress, Frances McDormand for Marge Gustafson, the seven-month pregnant, uh, Marge Gunderson, I should say. Not surprising I'd mix up a few of these names because these are, they're all Minnesotan and similar. Marge Gunderson is seven months pregnant, tenacious, and a brilliant police person, a policewoman of the highest order in terms of her doggedness and her awareness to a clue. William H. Macy, people have seen him in various roles, including the US version of, what's that TV series where they live lives of gay abandon. There's a British version, not or something like that. Anywho, are you familiar with William H. Macy's work? Uh, yes, I remember him from Boogie Nights. Yeah, yeah, he's great. He's, Meets a rather he, sticky end in Boogie Nights. Yeah, he's wonderful here. He's the bumbling 
um, Lundregard owns a car dealership, simply a man beaten down by life, jealous of others. He's married to a wealthy woman, but her family doesn't want him to have any of the money. And he has an opportunity for an investment that he thinks will finally break him free of the bonds and make him his own man. He shows it to his father-in-law, who agrees it's a great investment and says he's going to do it and offers him a modest finder's fee. And that sets him off. He decides, that's it, I've had enough. And he organises the kidnap of his wife for a large sum of money, thinking that nothing could go wrong. But given his ill-conceived plan and the fact that the two men charged with that responsibility are totally incompetent, violent individuals, uh, played by Steve Buscemi, well-known to many. He plays Carl Showwater. And Greya, his quietly spoken but menacing partner, is played by Peter Stormar, who people might recognise, even appeared in a Seinfeld episode when they tried to move Frogger across the street. But the fact is, this movie is the black comedy that would become the Coen brothers' mark of greatness. It is uber-violent, funny at times, disturbingly funny. I've mentioned the stars, but there are other stars, as always in Coen Brothers' movie. There's the dialogue. This is true North Mid-America, Minnesota, North Dakota. Uh, there's a lot of um, A and I's, like Canada, and by heck, those sort of expressions. And just the cinematography. This is shot during winter and vast, vast horizons of endless white snow plains, really moody setting for this bumbling kidnapping gone wrong. In 2014, not a sequel, but the TV series Fargo appeared. There's four seasons of that, and they are equally disturbing and amazing to watch. They're produced by the Coen brothers, but this is the movie, I think, that launched or at least set the wheels in motion for Coen Brothers' greatness. All right, very fulsome review. I've got to be honest, this is another of those films, and it's not a comment on the film, it's more a sad comment on me, but another of those films I've watched where I remember that I enjoyed it, but I can't remember anything much about it, um, which isn't a great sign about my faculties, really. But uh, I, I, well, I well, surely, surely, I mean, this movie wins the Academy Award for Best appearance by a wood chipper in the history of movies does that ring a bell <laughs> no it doesn't really to be honest all i okay. remember is a lot of snow and a heavily pregnant police woman well you've got the right movie anyway. <laughs> yeah i figured it wasn't clashing with too many others um <laughs> so there's our number seven movies finally goes with fargo i've gone with the lives of others musically speaking my number seven and uh, proud to announce this one, finally. Uh, I've gone local again. I love these guys. This was a classic Oz Rock pub band. Did a heap of gigs in the pubs of, uh, well, their home base was Sydney, but uh, played a lot in Melbourne as well, right through the 80s, uh, well into the 90s. Uh, pretty sure they've done some reunion gigs over the last decade. Yeah, I saw them probably, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, I think at the ESPY. I'm talking about the Lime Spiders. Uh, now, devotees of the local rock scene probably be familiar with them and could name a few tracks of theirs. They had hits with uh, Slave Girl was one of theirs. Uh, Volatile is another one. Um, my favourite room. But this, for me, is their standout track. I remember the first time I heard this song, uh, I could not believe how many hooks can you possibly have in a song. It's just guitar pyrotechnics, Mick Blood's distinctive throaty vocals, um, pounding drums. Uh, it is a brilliant pop slash rock song and it goes off like a rocket. So uh, I've authorised our producer to run a slightly longer excerpt than usual. Wrap your head around this. This is the Lime Spiders with Out of Control. Hypnotized by the 
Now, I know you hate me for this, Rowan, but I'm not really familiar with the lime spiders or lime spiders. What? I'm, well, just, you know, it'll be made clearer when I go through my song because what year was this track? Uh, I think that track's from about 85. But, um, Correct. Yeah, yeah. They, they, were, they were pretty popular. In fact, remember the movie uh, Young Einstein with Yahoo Serious? Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Um, they did a main song of the soundtrack of that, Slave Girl. Uh, which probably wouldn't get much of a run on on air these days, but um, uh, great pub rock band. They are uh, you just couldn't have could not uh, not no. I've I've mixed myself up here. You had a great time every time you went to the Lime Spiders. All right, and, and you know what? In listening to it, Rob, I've got to say this: I really I liked it. It jumps out. It jumps out of the speakers the minute it starts. I like it now, but now I'm an older less um, able-bodied man. I would have loved it back then. I could certainly see myself a few ales in at the ESPY, pogoing up and down to it and having a grand old time, Rowan. Yes, I'm pretty sure I did a bit of that myself back in the day. All right, what have you got for us, musically speaking? Well, this might explain why that 1985 track washed over me. I was overseas travelling, doing the Euro Eurail around Europe thing. It was fantastic. I just remember, this is just a moment that I'll never forget. I was on a train. I can't remember where, with a girl that I was travelling with. I had two jacks in my Walkman and both of us were listening to the same cassette. It was Cafe Blur by Style Council and it was, the sun was just coming up. And if there was ever a moment of simple romantic pleasure nothing too much just a moment in time now i've been happily married for 27 years but you still remember little little slices of pre-marriage romance that will stay with you forever and here's a little excerpt from the song that was playing on the train somewhere between germany and france i think back in 1985 Possibly smooth that song, isn't it? It makes me uh, the style council were so sort of slick and marketable. Um, Paul Weller, obviously the the front man. I've got to say, a bit of a um, what's the word? A bit of a skeptic with the style council because I really did like the jam a lot. And to me, the style council was sort of like the jam had got old and bloated and wanted hmm. to just do it easily, but. Hang on, that's it. Oh, that's it. I do like the Odd Style Council song and recognise their talents musically, and they were very, very cool. And so that scene you painted, that is exactly the circumstances I can um, envisage myself listening to them. And isn't that the great thing about music, by the way? You know, um, I think I spoke, I might not have actually, one of my top albums of all time is uh, New Gold Dream by Simple Minds. Um, I've always loved that album. It came out in 1982, and I've got memories I associate with that from my HSC year. But even just a couple of years ago, when uh, Abby and I went to Europe, and uh, we we're in the Black Forest in Germany, and we were on trains, you know, sort of going through the the beautiful Black Forest, and I was playing that album. And now, any time I hear a track off it, it's immediately the imagery that flashes into my head. I love the way music does that, don't you? That's to me what is the absolute beauty of music is the memories it evokes, the moments it takes you back to, and time just melts away. And you know, songs that you don't necessarily love, but they're so transporting. 
And it's no surprise, given our age, Rowan, that many of our fondest memories through song happen in the mid-80s because you, you, you just said it, HSC, I just said it, first trip overseas. These were the salad days, weren't they? They were. Unfortunately, the salad's a bit soggy and old now, but uh, we're <laughs> well, still... We we still you know what, we, we have to revel in what we have now because let me tell you, 10 years from now, we'll look back and say we, we were more capable then, so let's enjoy it while we can. Well, funny you should say that because I'm about to give you a taste of what I'm going through now in our next segment. Life Hacks, Building a Better World. All right, well, I don't want this to become the weekly uh, Connolly whinge, but uh, couldn't avoid this one because there are uh, momentous moments in the life of every person, isn't there? And, uh, you know, there's birth, there's death, there's marriage, there's divorce, there's you name it. But one of those which gets lumped in there, and uh, I've, I've been reminded again in the last few days why, because if it isn't one of the most stressful anxiety-inducing pains in the ass you go through in your life. It is moving house. Now, I seem to have been talking about moving house for about nine months. Well, it's finally, finally happening. I had the um, the place I bought done up uh, a bit to suit our requirements, and we are making the move as we speak. Uh, the possessions are gradually being ferried across to the other place, the big items are being moved on Friday, but uh, there's still a fair way to go. We're still trying to flog bits of furniture left, right and centre on Facebook with mixed results. Um, there's still every five seconds something you haven't thought of pops into your head and you have a moment of panic. What are we going to do about this? Uh, it's physically taxing. Uh, you've got to mix it with doing the rest of your life, i.e. working um, whatever it is you do, uh, trying to have some semblance of a life outside of those things. And uh, I can say we're only probably less than halfway through the process, but I'm going slowly mad and developing an ulcer to die for, which probably will kill me. And I never, ever, ever want to do this again. I haven't done it a lot. Um, I've done most of my other moves with a lot more support than I've had doing this one, let me tell you. And uh, boy, it's encouraging me to stay put at this new place for as long as I possibly can, because it is a bloody nightmare, Fawny. How have you found it? Hate it. That I Look, I have made few moves in my life. And to the point where I would say that I've made a couple of financially, um, a couple of financial decisions have been, based on my hatred of moving and I've sort of missed the boat and opportunity to capitalise on property values or capitalise on good value for a property sort, simply because I just cannot, I cannot begin to tell you how much I hate that, not only moving, but the very thought of the cull, the, just the whole thing, the re, restocking of wardrobes. Oh, Rowan, please don't. You've got a friend for life in me if you hate moving. Well, you know, one thing it's reminded me of is how little I have that would be commonly seen as, you know, possessions of worth and how much crap I have. And let me tell you, that crap includes, and again, I haven't been gutsy enough to jettison it. I'm hanging on to it in the knowledge that I will probably never use it ever again. 400-odd VHS videotapes. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got about 400 CDs. Uh, they've all been shunted off to my mum's place. They won't probably see the light of day ever again, but I couldn't bear parting with them, particularly the videotapes. I've even got some beta videotapes, believe it or not, but some of those videos, like the amount of labour that went into not only recording them but cataloguing them, uh, very detailed descriptions of what they were. And I, I was looking at them all and saying, if I throw this away, I might as well throw away 30 years of my life. I can't do it. So I've shoved them all in cardboard boxes, taped them up, and then they'll just sit there until either the next time I move or I die and my kids open these boxes and go, you stupid old bastard, couldn't you have left us something of value? 
Well, no, you selfish bastards. I wasn't going to. I was going to leave you stupid, useless stuff like this. Um, but that's, so, a, that's a really good point because we uh, maybe our generation is we are not alone here, but I don't have any heirlooms either. I also bought, spent all my money on footy records and CDs. It's just, you know, do you know anybody who's bought a painting? I don't. Um, well, we've, we've got one in here, which I'm claiming, not because I like it, but uh, just because it's something to put on the walls. But basically, I reckon at the risk of gender stereotyping, basically I've concluded that if you're our age and uh, you're a bloke, you've bought a lot of toys and if you're a woman, you've bought a lot of sensible things that will actually uh, maintain their value and are useful for life down the track. So once again, proving that we are the stupid sex, Fanny. Yeah, yeah. And books, CDs, DVDs, there'll be nothing but landfill for the next for the generations to come. Correct. Absolutely useless. Yeah, well, I, I, that's the other thing. I haven't even mentioned my, you know, 30 collection of 30 years worth of footy records yeah, so uh, uh, there you go anyway that is my life hack moving don't do it okay yours i don't want to seem as uh, sort of the Grinch who stole the olympics here but i know that the winter olympics are on and we've had a gold medalist but so many events in the winter olympics and even the summer olympics are so far away from what i consider the olympic ideal of you know, stronger, higher, faster. Uh, I'm pretty sure that Pierre de Coubertin wasn't considering stronger, higher, faster, Sidious, Altius, Fortius, or whatever order, order it is, to also include half pikes, half tubes of snow and rails on skateboards. Now, if this is appealing to a younger generation, all well and good. But the notion of, and I'm pretty sick of it, essentially, an Olympic medalist getting up and saying, I didn't, I'm not here for the gold medal. I'm not here for the, anything other than to inspire other young athletes to also get on a skateboard and skate backwards down a, a rail or get onto a mono ski and leap from a giant height doing three somersaults in the air and hopefully not landing on their skull. I just get a feeling some of these sports if you're ranked 20 in the world, you're the worst person at it because surely only 20 people in the world do it. What happened to good old simple running, jumping, lifting, pushing? Most of these sports are not... Uh, <laughs> I heard about the Australian pair who are doing curling and there's nowhere in Australia to actually do curling. So why are they doing curling? I don't know. They picked that up somewhere else and practice in a car park somewhere. Oh, it all but seems... isn't, isn't that what people do, though? They deliberately pick a sport that no one competes in Correct. so they've got a chance. Yeah, I, agree. I agree. I don't know. Is that, is that the Olympics? I, I, I will say this. When I was young, I wanted to be in the Guinness Book of Records. And I had a look at all the records I thought I could beat. And I did mark a couple. And I did try and eat some live goldfish. Now, I'm Am I not proud of it? I couldn't care less what people think because there was a record for live goldfish eating and I thought that that was attainable. In the end, I think the Olympics is becoming like the Guinness Book of Records, a collection of very strange events that people pick out so they can go to the Olympics. Well, do you think we could lobby, lobby the Olympic Federation to include being grumpy old farts for the next Olympics? I reckon we'd be uh, certainly in contention for a place on the podium. Well, wait till Brisbane, because when it's your home Olympics, you can go particularly esoteric and choose whatever you want. Well, I already yeah. know what I'd say in my acceptance speech then. i said say, this will never be my home. <laughs> That's fair enough, too. I, I'm, I like the Olympics, don't get me wrong, and I admire people. Obviously, it's a great effort to succeed at Olympic level. We get very jingoistic and defensive and, and proud of our champions. But, yeah, I... I I don't know how many Australians are going to be inspired to go out and mogul ski because, quite frankly, very few people will ever mogul ski anywhere on this planet. I don't even know what it is. What is it? No, it's just, you know, you go, it's a combination of speed and being judged. It's, it's going down a hill with man-made humps and bumps and bumps that you can do little somersaults in the air. And uh, no one has ever gone down a ski slope other than, 
for that sport in that manner. You know, I'm skiing, I'm skiing. Oh, there's a bump. I'll go over that and do a triple somersault midair. You know, I mean, that previously had only ever been seen on cartoons. I thought a mogul was like, you know, Rupert Murdoch was a media mogul. So, like, shouldn't it be him Yeah, that's right. That's what it was. It was all the wealthiest people in the world skiing downhill. Yeah, okay. That sounds right. And they deserve the chance to go for gold, our billionaires. Sounds more like the Sydney to Hobart yacht race or something. Um, Yeah, that's right. All right, interesting, uh, or not really, depending on how you feel about the Olympics. That is life hacks for this week. Time for some more nostalgia on the football front. Fantastic footy flashbacks. All right, let's go flashbacking. Um, as is often the case, finally, I'm not sure why this one popped into my head, but I do remember that Brisbane and Port Adelaide over not just the early 2000s, but the late 90s had a fantastic and unusually close rivalry. And it probably came to its head in terms of absolute quality. Well, in a grand final meeting, of course, in 2004, but even before that, in finals, and in one game in particular, which sprung into the memory banks, and it was the final round, final home and away round of the 2002 season. And it was a playoff for top spot on the ladder at Football Park in Adelaide between Port and Brisbane. And what a classic game this was. Scores level at quarter time. Brisbane, 10 points ahead at the long break. Big third quarter from the power, seven goals to one, gave them a 28-point lead. And you'd think at that stage, Brisbane, knowing they would still get a home final, that would be the end of their challenge. But no, this was some Brisbane side. In fact, many would argue 2002 was the strongest uh, football they produced of those three straight flags. And they peeled off five goals of their own in the last quarter to just one for the power and a thrilling finish for top spot on the ladder after six months' sweat and toil ensued. Well, let's have a listen to the thrilling concluding stages. Thumps it long to centre-half forward. French punched away by Michael at ground level. Here's a chance for Stevens. Stevens goes high and long towards the goal square. Two to Bergwijn! Almost brought it down. Here's James. He's had a marvellous game. He puts him in front. Again, no more deserved kicker of the goal than Roger James. He's been tremendous all day. Bergwijn makes the contest, gets the ball to ground. Roger James does what every good forward should do: get front and square, and stuff that dreams are made of. Well, he's pumped up, and well he might be. He's had a sensational game. Five the difference. Five points the difference. Brisbane about to go into attack. Brown, one of the targets oh. down there. Him and Power collide. Chad Corns has had a very good game, giving it over to Ward Paxman. And Paxman chips it about 25 metres to Primus. He's going to be attacked by Ackermanis. Very clever, though, by the big Ruckman. Over to Ward Carr, who pumps it down to the wing. An opportunity now for Poulton, who's about 85 metres from goal. One minute and 12 seconds remaining. Poulton, casual as you like, down to 60. He's still on 60. Pike's got him. He got the hand pass away. Guerra, left foot kick. Well, he's kicked to behind, and that's important. Or has it come back? Has it come back? No, it's a behind. But there is one straight kick in it now. Six points is the margin. Lee Matthews with some concerns and problems. What it does do is give Brisbane possession, though. There's plenty of time for them to transfer the ball from one end to the other. Straight down the middle, I'd say. Very important kick. 57 seconds remaining on the clock. Johnson, they've got a loose man. It's nodding. Hand off to Voss. Voss towards half forward. This for the minor premiership. Bradshaw. Headland crashes through. Here's Black. Black to Hart. Tries to step a tackle from Boyle. It was outstanding. Through comes Stevens. Could be a premiership winning tackle from Guerra. The kick wasn't great. Here's a chance, French. Another brilliant tackle tackle from Pike. Michael to Johnson. 25 seconds remaining. Ashcroft at defensive 50. 
to Power. Has to move it on. 17 seconds. Power. They need a mark. Brown over the top. A ground level huge ball this one. And they win it through Black. Black to Scott. Seven, six, five seconds remaining. They go to the square. Lepage couldn't take the mark. Ball still alive. Port Adelaide among the Premiers for the first time in their history. If only it were a grand final, it would be the greatest of all time. What a game of football between the two standout sides in 2000. Now, I know you're a fan, Rowan. But was Roger James one of the more underrated players of, well, not just that here, maybe of the Port Adelaide football club in the AFL's history? He was a very good player, Roger James, and a sort of a, a reliable man under pressure. I always felt he finished games off brilliantly, played his best football in the last quarter. Could not agree more. I love this guy. I was never quite sure what it was about him I love, but I think it was just that, it was a bit of a Leon Baker factor, and by that I mean not not appearance, but just his neatness, his neatness and efficiency of ball use, his sort of unflappable temperament. There was just a smartness about everything he did, and that was despite being not particularly quick, uh, not particularly strong or tall. He had quite a, a shortish, squat, stocky frame, but it was not muscle-bound, but... Just a really, really smart player. And actual fact, his brother, Brett, who had some success too with uh, the Crows, was sort of similar like that. Now, I, I agree. I think he was definitely one of their most underrated players in this era. Ended up with only 147 games. Well, only. It's a pretty good record. But I think injury might have uh, cut him down um, a few years short of however long he might have played. But he uh, kicked the winning goal in this game. He was a terrific player for the power and uh, deservedly part of that 2004 premiership side of course Port got the chocolates and top spot in this game but uh, as would be the case for another year after this didn't end particularly well in that after securing top spot in the home final they then lost stunningly to Collingwood in the qualifying final that put them on the wrong side of the draw and who did they have to face away from home in the preliminary final, none other than Brisbane, which decided to exact uh, fairly telling revenge, beat up on the power by 56 points in the preliminary final on their way to a second successive premiership. They'd make that three before Port uh, ended their tilt at four straight flags in the 2004 grand final. So it was a great rivalry these two clubs had. And uh, this was probably one of the best examples of it. A really, really high-quality home-and-away game for big stakes in 2002. What do you got for us? I want to go back to early season 2017. Geelong v North Melbourne. Now, this is a game that North Melbourne really led just about, well, all day, unfortunately. Or fortunately, depending who you barry for, the frantic finish would be the telling. This game could have been played in the last two minutes. It was exciting. Let's have a listen in. And by the way, now, Rowan, you know what drew me to this game? What? I don't know how much you're going to love this, but I reckon Eddie Maguire, when he's invested and he was in, he just called brilliantly, I reckon. Sandy Roberts alongside in his comeback stint. But I love the commentary here of, of Eddie. It is full of emotion and full of, well, full of powerhouse statements. Listen in. What are they going to do here, Geelong? Because they haven't used a Ruckman in this situation for the entire quarter and it hasn't worked for them. So we'll see if they can change it up or whether they're going to go the same process. Bruce has just knocked it down defensively. Bruce has put his hand up and no one else has. Hawkins not going with him. So it's Bruce going it alone. Cunnington again. That's the pair that have combined. Excellent smother. Oh, oh high tackle. Clear. Got, him. Got him high. Oh, oh golly. Big proof. So, Paul and Smith is going to get a free kick. And he's milking the clock as well. He's kicked the goal in the second quarter. Game number 42 for the hyphen from Catland. 
clock still ticking. Down to 1.15, 1.14. This kick to put them in front by one solitary point. From 42 metres, the drop punt is there! The Cats have regained the lead! Thought from the angle, John Armani, yes. he's in step. But, uh, right. straight up. More swing than Terry Alderman, that one. Did too. Right, you got to look defensive here. But it comes down to the centre clearance here. That's all, that's all it's about. Geelong have been very good in this last quarter. They need to win the clearance, get it their way. North Melbourne, of course. You've got Siebel in there. Cunnington, Sean Higgins, the stars of today. Can they do it for North Melbourne and get this ball going forward to give their forwards a chance? Or can they run it out the back? Not since the four-minute mark of the first term have the Cats been in front. They lead now by a solitary point with one minute on the clock. It comes down to the last 60 seconds of this game. Good bounce by the umpire. Bruce gets up and gets a tap. Cunnington gets it down. Higgins thumps it long and strong. Brown goes oh. up off the hands. Magic is there. Gets the bad bounce. It bounces around like a pinball. Slapped onto the boot. It's all kangaroos down here. One versus five. Marley Williams gets the tap. It falls to the ground. Picked up by Dangerfield. 39 seconds to go. Over the top to Selwood who calms things down. The champions impose themselves at the final moment of this game. Needs to hit a target. Dangerfield's there, under pressure. Does it beautifully. Back to Selwood. Up the line. Here they go. Last 20 seconds. The Ruckman's got it. Proof of his second game. Shins it out. Shin bone of spirit required. The kick goes up to Majak Door. Cowan hits the deck. Dives in on top of it. Wants the ball up and will get it with six seconds on the clock. Five seconds, four seconds. The ball gap will be one second. We've got about three seconds of game time live and left. And a dejected Brad Scott thinks his brother's going to pinch it by a point. To take a 6-5 lead in their head-to-head. -head. Four seconds. Bruce wins it. It's going to get locked up. And that'll be all she wrote. Cats. The Warriors from Geelong have come from behind. And stolen a wonderful one-point victory. Well, I would like to talk about the game. What a great finish that was. But I feel compelled after what you said, Fanny, to take issue with your comment about the commentary. Because after only three and a half odd minutes of that, I wanted to wring Eddie's neck. Stop shouting, Eddie. You don't have to scream everyone's name. God, it was unbearable. You actually like that. I just said it was a powerhouse piece of calling. Oh. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed oh. it. All right, here's something we can both agree on. Now, you don't pick this up in the call, but for anybody who wants to go back and watch video evidence of this man's brilliance, late in the game, after Geelong hit the front, with North Melbourne still pressing for that behind-to-level or goal-to-win, there is a pick-up on the centre wing by Patrick Dangerfield at pace in traffic, that is sublime. Don't ever forget Patrick Dangerfield for all his awards and his high profile and sometimes controversy, an absolute gifted superstar, and I thought that was such a beautiful piece of football. Yeah, some pretty cool-headed play from both he and uh, Joel Selwood at the finish there. The other thing this reminded me of too was uh, North were pretty stiff in 2017. In fact, that was one of three games in the first five that they lost by less than a kick. They lost to the Cats by a point, lost to the Bulldogs by three points a couple of weeks later, and the following week to Fremantle by five points over in Perth, and then lost another one later in the year by a point. And another one after that by four points. So uh, didn't do well on the close finishes, the Roos, but uh, exciting finish there. And there's one for the Hall and Smith family. Haven't got a heap to celebrate about George's AFL career, but that was one good moment for him. And uh, I'm sure he would have got a lot more games in uh, a club with a lot less talented playing with. So good choice of footy flashback. Just, for just on that, Rowan, it is a collector's item. Or that game, you know why? Why is that? It actually has Braden Proust playing senior AFL football. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, it's been fairly slim pickings for him. And uh, get used to those hyphenated surnames too. I was having this discussion with someone the other day and these 
new age days uh, with a lot of kids now taking the surnames of both parents, we're going to see some awfully long teams uh, on a Thursday night uh, written across the page in the paper, Finey. So uh, might be worth thinking about that in the future or not. Uh, all right. <laughs> it might be the first thing I've ever said in this show that you didn't have some sort of reaction. Oh, I've got to come back too. But, you know, just, I just let you go. Well, Wanganine Malera are not two people. They're only one player. It reminds me of the time someone in the office said to me, what do you think of that? And I said, well, incredibly, nothing. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for your company, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the show. Of course, you can continue to support this uh, not hyphenated podcast. We're working on that. Um, at uh, the ACAST supporter page, wherever you listen to this podcast, or better still, become an official Footyology patron at one of the many Patreon links posted up on the Footyology website. And some cracking reading on there at the moment. We've got uh, full coverage of the AFLW season, thanks to our man, Gil Griffin. Ronnie Lerner's Tale of the Tape series in full swing. In fact, Geelong, who uh, his fans would have just enjoyed those last few minutes. Your team was uh, previewed the other day. GWS up today. Uh, we are up to Hawthorne. So... Keep an eye peeled over the next couple of days, Hawk fans and uh, followers of teams below them in the alphabet. Uh, some great stuff on Footyology and become a Footyology patron for just $7 Australian per month to help this venture not only survive, but thrive into the distant future. Hey, it's, Rowan. Yes. Do you keep an eye peeled? Uh, you probably don't. You probably don't. You probably keep uh, you keep a potato peeled or an ear. Is it an ear peeled? I think so. An ear peeled right. and, okay. a, and an eye open. Yeah, I know. Well, there you go. I'm, uh, not the first metaphor I've mixed, I bet. Um, all right. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week. Uh, we'll see you back here uh, same time, same place, same bat channel. See ya. See ya.